Ladies and gents, my name is Brandon Stover. Welcome to the How to Solve Climate Change course from Plato University. Causes, systems, obstacles, solutions to this global challenge is what you're going to learn here today. When you're ready to learn more skills, join us for free at Plato.University. Let's get started with today's lesson. We'll have our expert guests briefly introduce themselves and their credentials for why they are able to speak to this topic. My name is Christine Picard. I'm an associate professor of biology in the Department of Biology here at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, also known as IUPUI. I'm also a site director for our NSF. It's an industry university corroborative research center, and our center is called the Center for Environmental Sustainability Through Insect Farming. And so with all of that, you know, I'm, I, I work in research around the insects that hopefully we will be talking about. And can you explain what insects derive protein or insects as feed is? Insects have been, of course, on this earth for an extremely long time, and they have managed to exploit basically any resource that's available out there. They, they use it, they eat it, and they grow from what it is that they eat. So the insects that we're talking about today are, are no different. So many of these insects have evolved to eat what we call organic material. So it's basically anything that was once alive. So if you think about vegetable scraps or grain, anything like that, you have an insect that will eat that and, and, and use it so that they can continue their life cycle. What they do, what they're really good at, the insects themselves, is growing very quickly and efficiently using what they're consuming to convert it into, you know, tissue for the insect itself as it grows. And so in this particular case, you know, insects can be using existing waste streams. If we think about any sort of organic material that doesn't directly end up in our stomachs as the source or the resource that the insects can use to then develop very efficiently protein. And so the insect itself is pretty high in protein, depending on the species and what it was eating. It varies, but it's, it, it, it's very high in protein. So it can be used to feed other animals, some of which, you know, naturally develop on insects, like chickens. Natural feed for chickens is insects, fish, all of these fairly intensive farming systems will need access to protein for their animals in order for the animals to develop. Why would insects' as protein help to solve climate change? Well, many reasons. Number one, it can develop on existing waste streams. So as an example, here in the United States, like a third of the food we produce goes to waste. When you send something out to the landfill, it actually generates greenhouse gas emissions as that food breaks down. So that's number one. So like to be able to pull that out of the environment has a big impact on, on you know, climate change scenarios. The second is that per unit of, of protein produced compared to other both plant and animal existing systems, uses less water, less land, and produces less greenhouse gas emissions. And so it's just because of its efficiency and being able to take the food that it eats and converting it into protein, it just has less of an impact on the environment 
than anything else that's currently being used. Even if you think about, you know, plant-based systems, they require a lot of water. Climate change threatens a lot of that. You know, I live in the Midwest where this is, you know, corn country, corn and soybean country. And as our climates change, you know, how they respond, how the crops themselves respond, it's it put somewhat in peril because of climate change. So the security of our food systems is, is, is in trouble. So whatever we can do to reduce the impact on the environment by producing protein, I think will obviously have a, a positive impact. Now, on the flip side of that, why wouldn't insect protein help to solve climate change? Or maybe where does it fall short? Interestingly, where it falls short is that it's it's in its infancy in terms of an industry. So at the moment, there are not, and this is a weird thing to say, there are not enough insects in order to have an impact, <laughs> which most people don't say that. But so on the production side of things, there's just not enough being produced in order for it in order for insect protein to be incorporated into some of these feed systems because there's too many chickens, for example, to feed. And there's not enough insects being produced to be able to do this in a in a sort of reliable sense. So right now, you know, there's there's a bit of a struggle in terms of trying to use find uses um, and, and actually be able to like produce the insects and sell them uh, in order to continue the production cycle. And, 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 and moving forward. So at the moment, it's in its infancy. And then maybe the other side is that depending on geographically where you're located, there are, I mean, you need some resources to rear these insects. If it's cold, you need heat. If it's hot, you need to cool. And, and so trying to find the right geographic locations might be important. There's a lot of insect farms in Canada. And part of the reason is it is actually you need a lot. You need to cool the insects more than you need to warm them up because they can generate their own heat through their metabolic action, but they can't cool themselves down. And so in in really warm places in the environment, you know, there can be a significant strain on energy inputs for a production system, for example. Could you describe who may benefit insects being a protein from this and who may be harmed by this as a solution? Well, I mean, the earth benefits <laughs> for sure. And in terms of, of individuals, you know, if you can come up with a sustainable alternative to providing the same nutrition to animals, and if not a natural, you know, diet for, for some of these animals, then the animals benefit. You can, you know, by eating a natural resource, uh, you may confer some, you know, sh- maybe uh, be a little less stressful for the animal, maybe a little bit healthier for the animal um, to be able to eat something that's natural. So, for example, like insects have have sort of bacteria in their guts that's part of their their own process, and that can be healthy for other organisms. Think about it like probiotics almost. Yeah. Who can be harmed? That's a much more difficult question to answer because I can't think of somebody who can be harmed. The only sort of possible downside is that because insects are arthropods and they belong to the same group as lobsters and and 
crab and and all these other shellfish animals, there's possibilities of being allergic because of the chitin that they have in their in their exoskeletons. And so I guess that's the other possibility is that there could be some allergenicity that we don't really know much about, but it's possible. How are insects farmed or produced? What's the process of bringing this higher up in production? That's a good question. I don't work on production scale. I have a research lab, so I work in a very small scale. So I can certainly describe how we do it. Production scale, a lot of times that'll be proprietary information. But, you know, the the adult insects will uh, mate and lay eggs. And the conditions upon which that happens can is very specific to the species. Uh, for example, the black soldier fly, which is one of the the bigger species that's being developed for production, requires a very specific wavelength of light in order to mate, which is usually sunlight. (laughs) So it's very natural. But there are artificial lights that simulate that. The eggs that get laid by the females will hatch and then they'll all, and they're just placed in their food source, whatever their food source is. And the larvae eat and develop and grow once they reach a certain stage, depending on what the, the use is, you know, they are harvested and, and either dried or sold alive or however, however they're being processed. You'll usually have sort of a breeding site and then your production site. And as far as I can tell, most producers uh, of the insects produce way more eggs than they have room for because, you know, each individual female can lay 100, 200 eggs, right? So that's that's exponentially greater in terms of the numbers. And so there are some facilities that are being developed that are really quite large. They can be, of course, scaled vertically. And the idea is to just ramp up production to produce a greater number so that they can be incorporated into existing feed systems. How long is the life cycle before an insect is ready for harvest? Well, it depends on the species. They all differ. But, you know, for the black soldier fly, it's two, two and a half weeks, typically. The mealworms, another really common insect that's used, actually, and the mealworms approved for human consumption. That can take two months-ish. It grows to be much larger than the black soldier fly. So it it is certainly converting. It just takes more time, but it's bigger. So it it, it really does depend on the on the species. But the black soldier flies very fast. You mentioned quite a bit of things still needing to happen to bring this up to a scale that it can be a viable solution. What innovation or policy or things need to be built or put in place for that to happen? Oh, wow. Ken, I don't know just how advanced the actual insect production companies have, have gotten, but there's always going to be a need for automation. I think that's going to be a big part of it. I do think many of the companies still rely on some aspects of human labor in order to do some of the, the production scale side of things. So you, you'll need some sort of engineering innovations there. On the biological side, which is the area I operate in, there's variation with insects. So their development varies, right? I I, I equate it to just like there's variations in human height. 
right? So you'll get variation in insects in terms of how long they develop and whatnot. So I think there's a little bit of a biological um, problem there that we um, are, are doing the research in order to try to better understand what generates this variation. And then in terms of regulation and adoption, adoption is going to be a big one. You know, continuing to generate the data that shows that it's a safe, it's sustainable, it is nutritious. Generating all of that data that demonstrate that will help push along regulation. And then for the everyday person, you know, sometimes just thinking about what's on your plate and what it took for that food to make it to your plate is important. Even if you are eating, you know, vegetable-based diets, those all got shipped from somewhere. Those all required lots of water, lots of herbicides, lots of pesticides, all that sort of stuff, right? And so the idea that, you know, even, even what's on your plate now had a significant climate impact just to make it there. What I tell a lot of people, a lot of people, myself included, have a hard time thinking about eating an insect, right? However, I buy cricket flour. And so I use it. I replace some of my all-purpose flour with cricket flour in some of the cooking I do. It adds protein. It means that we're buying the product. And so that's a good thing. And then the other thing that I do, and uh, my dog thanks me for it, is I have insect-based pet food that I give to my dog. There are a small handful of companies that produce this. And so rather than using... And, and, and pets, especially in North America, consume a large amount of protein that is generated in this country. So replacing, just doing that, that small replacement, my dog loves this food so much, can make a difference as well. So I think as a society, if we all agree that there are benefits to insect farming and feed and food production on that scale, then we can really make a difference, I think, when it comes to, to um, the, the environment. What are the best resources to learn more about insect protein in relation to climate change? Well, there's, I mean, there's many and they're sort of all over the place. And truthfully, you know, social media is a great place. If you find some, some people to follow that are involved in this space, you know, one, one person in particular, his name is, is Joseph Yoon. He's the chef for Brooklyn Bugs. And he calls himself an edible insect ambassador. And what he does is he cooks with insects. So he shares a lot of information on social media around that. So I would suggest that you definitely try and follow him if you can. And his dishes just absolutely look amazing. And I've had some of his dishes before and they're really good. So he's doing for insects, you know, what was once done for lobster and, and making it very appetizing. Our Insect Center has a website. It's just insectcenter.org, although it's it's more research-based, so I don't know that there's as much information there. Right now, you're speaking to passionate students who want to actually solve problems like these. What top three skills should they study so that they actually have the ability to do so? When it comes to insect agriculture, I would guess number one would be entomology, you know, studying insect science, insect biology. A lot of what we do, especially, you know, the research that we do looks to understand what the basic biology is of the insects and then 
tries to determine how we can mimic that in a production scale or a lab scale. So understanding basic insect biology is a good one. But, you know, understanding agricultural economics is another very interesting area that if you can get into, there's very little on the insect side in that on 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 that um, part. And so I think that's going to be a a job of the future in order to uh, continue this. And then the the third skill is like just a genuine interest in in science, right? So a lot of a lot of climate change is around uh, is is all built on on science. Everything we know about climate change is all built on science. So whether you're into geology or earth sciences, environmental sciences, biology, ecology, any of those science based methods or or degrees or programs or whatnot will all lead into this this agri this insect agricultural space. Any final recommendations for the audience? Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great question. You know, I've I've been thinking about this a lot more lately based on my research. A lot of the work that I do has to do with trying to understand the variation that exists within these insects, whether it's in in, in the natural world or what's happening in our lab and production spaces. And so a lot of people who compost purchase these insects in order for them to, it, it, it really helps their compost. It makes it very nutritious. You know, be aware of where you're buying those insects from for your compost because you're taking something that is generated in a production scale and bringing it out into the environment. And that's something that I've been thinking more and more about lately. You know, we want to we want to make sure that our environment and our our natural populations persist because they're doing a huge ecosystem process out there in the environment already, right? They're already doing all of this recycling out there as part of their natural biology. And so we want to make sure that that, that gets maintained. And so I would just say, you know, careful where you buy your your live insects from. Getting insect protein adopted by the public is a hurdle to its success. Develop a creative recipe using insect protein as an ingredient. Consider taste, texture, and nutritional value. Share your recipe with others and discuss its potential role in sustainable diets. Thank you for taking the How to Solve Climate Change course. If you want to learn the skills to solve this global challenge, join us for free at Plato.University for exclusive content, extra resources, and actionable exercises with every lesson. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at Plato.University.